do that. Esther chapter number 4, verse number 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, because he, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went and forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, and which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree which was given at Shushan to destroy them and to show it unto Esther and declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And a talk came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spake to Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai and all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told him Mordecai Esther's words. Mordecai commanded to Esther to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. I'm going to ask Brother Kenning. He's a pastor in, uh, in Indiana. It's really good to have him. met him at camp a couple of years ago. And uh, he and his wife are a real blessing. Great people. Got a great church. You pray for their church. Uh, Lord's really doing a lot there, and it's exciting to see. So, brother, would you uh, take us to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless the preaching this morning? Lord God, we come to you this morning, Lord, thankful for a place, Lord, thankful for a building to worship in, thankful for good people to come together. Pray, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, cleanse this place, God, that you put aside the cares of the world, and uh, Lord, just the things that we have to deal with. And God, I pray that your Spirit would come in and would be real to us. God, yes, I pray God. that you fill, brother Mike. God, that you get put in, put your words in His mouth. God, I pray that he'd speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would open your word to us, God, that your Holy Spirit would be our interpreter, God, would be our guide, Lord, would be, uh, Lord, just what we need to hear this morning. God, I pray that you'd exhort and edify, Lord, as each heart needs. And we're thankful, God, to be able to be here and to have this weekend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Every preacher worth his salt has a message from this passage of Scripture. And obviously you can't avoid the title. It's probably pretty clear to most everybody if you've been in church any length of time. It's there in verse number 14 where he tells Esther, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And that is what I want to preach to you on is for such a time as this. There's a whole lot going on in the world around us. I mean, we all know that. I think it'll be very interesting to wait and see just a few years and take a look as time goes on at how, how the smart people do it. I don't know exactly how old they go about it, but to look at the studies and all that will come out and the cultural shifts and the changes and the impact that, say, the shutdowns had on the younger generation. They're already looking at what's happened in schools and the rest of that stuff with education and all the rest of it and the big turn everything took to being from from being in person to being virtual, you know. Obviously there's some huge changes and we live in a really, really scary time. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't believe it's gonna get any better. Actually, according to that book in your lap, I think it's fixing to get worse. I'll say this, I'm really grateful that I was born in seventy seven. I'm really glad that I went through, you know, the 80s and the 90s when I was your age and having to deal with what's going on in the world around me. I would hate to be a kid. Can I get a witness from some of you older folks? Uh, some of you were teenagers back in the 60s, and uh, some of you were already uh, married and had kids back in the 60s, but that's all right. You thought it was bad back then. Could you imagine what it is nowadays? Could you imagine being a young person today that wants to serve Jesus Christ and is trying I believe with all my heart we got a church full of people here this morning who are genuinely trying to serve Jesus Christ. I mean, I know you get picked on, but that's because the people in your life that God's put there that bring you to church, that, that try to pastor you, youth pastors and parents, they care about you. And you feel sometimes, you know, the persecution complex and the rest of that, but look, they care about you. And you are up against it, I will guarantee you that. Every last person in this room, not just young people, even adults today, you are up against it when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. You have to stand alone when you go to work. I mean, you are fish swimming upstream and it's going to get worse and worse and worse, not better. We're at a point now where even in supposedly more conservative environments and conservative groups, it is fully accepted and more than accepted, the pressure is on you to accept homosexuality. The pressure is on you to say, well, I mean, I might not be that way, but if they do, it's all good. I mean, to actually take a stand against what God calls in the Bible an abomination, you're getting vilified for taking that stand. You know, you're a hater. There's, we're not, who's hating anybody? What are you talking about? It's not hate. It's right and wrong. Guess, guess, let me just throw one out there to you, okay? I'm going to tell you this. It is wrong for Isaiah to make me mad. And as a result, since he made me mad, you don't know you made me mad, but this morning you're the illustration. Since he made me mad, <laughs> Felt right to me. He made me mad. Can somebody go rewrite the rules and say, no, actually, you can't judge Pastor Reagan when he shot Isaiah in the head because, you know what, he was mad and that's just how he sees things. And he just, it, it's, it's wrong. I mean, it, it, that's not against any particular individual. It's just wrong. 
See, right is right and wrong is wrong, but you live in a day and age where it's actually even getting in the heads of Christian young people that like, oh my goodness, Pastor Elliot said fag. (laughs) Something in you goes, should he have just said that? Oh my word. Hey man, I grew up with preachers preaching like you wouldn't believe against queers and fags and all the rest of that stuff. And nowadays it's like, is that okay to say? Like, are you kidding me? Like, have we really come that far even in our crowds? Where the room sort of like tenses up a little bit because he, he said that? Hey, do you realize that homosexuals can get saved? Yes. That the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse them from all sin? Do you realize when Paul wrote the book of Corinthians, he was going through a list which included in that list was homosexuality, and he said, but such were some of you. And once you're born again, if that's in your past, it's in your past, your blood bought, it's washed away, leave it in the past, and don't bring it up, and don't tell anybody about it, bury it and move on for Jesus Christ. He loves them and died on the cross for them, and they can get saved. There's no hatred here towards us versus them. It's a fact that their influence has creeped into our world, and the sin that's out there has begun to affect our young people, and we will preach against it, and we will not stop preaching against it, even if it winds us up in a prison cell, we'll go there with the grace of God, but we won't stop preaching against it, because it's still wrong. And guess what? God's got some men that God's called, and God's prepared, and God's equipped, that are willing to take the stands they have to take for such a time as this. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, I just look at the men that have gone before me that God has put in my life to influence me and to help me and to encourage me and to strengthen me. Man, I'm so grateful for them. I can't help but think of Dr. Lentz because I canceled the evening service tonight because it's been a busy weekend. And go home, get some rest, enjoy your, enjoy your afternoon, enjoy your evening. We'll get to school tomorrow morning and we'll see you Wednesday, right? Well, you know where I got that from? I was sitting in church 20, 20 years ago, and Brother Lenz got up and said, Y'all, I appreciate how faithful you guys are. You know, his rough way of saying things. I appreciate how faithful you guys are here to be here all the time. And, uh, you know, I just decided we're canceling tonight's service. Go home, enjoy your afternoon, have a good day. We'll see you on Wednesday. And I'm like, That's wicked. He's compromising. Ain't nobody, nobody in their right mind ever accused Brother Lenz of being a compromiser. But I'm grateful for something that I learned there. He was like, hey, listen, we're not Catholics. We're faithful to come to church, and we don't miss when the doors are open. We're there. But every once in a while, you know what? You'll be all right. We'll see you on Wednesday. Enjoy your afternoon. Appreciate all your work this weekend. Hope you have a good afternoon. See how neat that is? I mean, 20 years later, it's impacting the way I operate. I'm thankful for that. You know what I don't want to do? Because the pressure is built up today more than ever before. Because the enemies come in like a flood today more than ever before. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to fail when it's my opportunity before God to be the person who gets to step up in this time. You think about the story here, man. Esther is up against it. I mean, we've been talking about it as we go through Sunday mornings. And and you notice as we read through the text, she had it pretty bad. 
I mean, I, I, I explained to you in the last couple of weeks how, you know, she gets pulled out because she's one of the most beautiful women in the kingdom. And they go through and they pick all the most beautiful girls there is, maidens that are, you know, hoping to get married and find somebody they love. And, you know, that perfect person like Brother Elliot was talking about. I hope you all didn't miss the point. He was 32 years old when he got married. And lots of opportunities came his way, but none of them were the right one. All his kidding around about, you know, she got really lucky to have me and all that stuff. Um, trust me, that's probably the other way around. Don't tell him I said that. Right. Amen. But here he is waiting on God, looking for that, looking for the right person. And God finally down the road brings the right person into his life. And I, I guarantee you this much. You never convince that old man that God did him wrong by making him wait till he was 32 years old to marry the right person. I mean, if he would got married at 22 to the wrong person, you wouldn't know his name. You wouldn't be sitting here right now. We wouldn't have what God has given us through another man's ministry down in Ohio somewhere. And the goodness of God that's going, because the man waited for the right Right? Isn't that what every girl especially wants, Mr. Perfect? Right. You guys, you just want a woman, okay? Don't kid me. <laughs> but girls, you want the one God has, the perfect one, the right one. Think about being Esther. You're pretty. You're not. <laughs> You're pretty. I didn't point at anybody. I pointed down here. <laughs> One of those suicide moments for a pastor. That was just pastoral suicide. We'll go over here. You're pretty, you're not. You're pretty, you're not. You're pretty, you're not. You guys that thought that was a compliment that you were called pretty, you got it missed. You messed up. And she gets pulled out, and the king goes to all these different women. I'll be very, very tactful, okay? But. She's presented to the king. She has to spend a night with the king. If the king likes her, she gets to be a part of his harem. The favorite one he's looking in this case is the queen. The other ones go back to the quarters that they're given to live in. They do not go back to their life. They go back to the quarters as one of the king's harem, but they may never get called in to the king again. They can't go back and live their life the way they want to live it. Their life just got stolen from them. And now they're literally in slavery. They're literally enslaved. Their life got hijacked because they happened to be pretty. So that this self-centered king, this big shot, can maybe be somewhat of a husband that she has to share with all these other women. You think about how horrible Esther's circumstances were. Before this, when it happens, Mordecai tells her, don't show them who you are. Don't tell them your race. Don't tell them where you come from. Because if you do, there's going to be racial prejudice against you. Their world wasn't that much better than your world is. You see, Ecclesiastes said, you don't do wisely to consider and ask why the former days were better than these. I just said it's pretty bad to be a young person in this generation, right? I just said I wouldn't want to be growing up right now. But God said that is not wise to say, man, I wish I was raised in the good old days. That's the worst thought you can get in your head. Guess what? You can't control when you're born. You didn't get to pick who your parents were. You didn't get to pick what country you were born into. You, get, you just happened to show up. 
And God Almighty knew you were going to be here in eternity past. And he knew what time you were going to be born. He knew where you were going to be born at. He knew what the generation was going to be doing. And he knew when you'd get saved, who your parents were, who your pastors and your youth pastors were. He knew you'd be sitting here this morning in eternity past. God knew every single thing about you, every hair on your head. Amen. Ain't that something? So none of this has taken God by surprise. And who knoweth if thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this? Previously, Mordecai says, listen, don't tell them who you are. But then this wicked Haman gets promoted by the king. And what you're going to see in the world you live in is lost kids and wicked people that aren't trying to do right. Get a boyfriend before you, get a girlfriend before you, get married before you, have money you don't have, get all these things in this world that you want, but you don't have. And you're going to sit back saying, my goodness, how come it's so hard to serve Jesus Christ? It's so hard to do right. I mean, everybody's saying, even the preachers say it's hard to be us, so let's make a little bit of an excuse for looking at stuff we shouldn't look at. Listening to stuff we shouldn't listen to. Dabbling around a little bit. I mean, it's, it's really hard nowadays. It's, it's everywhere. Everybody's doing it. No, everybody ain't doing it. But what's happening is God Almighty in eternity past knew you'd have an opportunity for such a time as this to be the young person, to be the Christian, to be the parent of a young person, the grandparent of a young person for such a time as this. So there's no excuses. Esther comes in there and and, and Mordecai, uh, Haman comes in there, gets mad because everybody's bowing and reverencing him, right? We talked about that, I think, last week. But Mordecai says, I'm not reverencing him. I know that Bible, and that thing says that I'm not to bow to anybody but to the God of heaven. I'm not bowing to that man. And so all of a sudden, he gets down in his crawl when he sees what's going on in the world around him, and he gets pushed to that point. He says, you know what? I'm not going to bow. Now, we've never taught disrespect to the authorities, ever. I actually believe in being in submission to the authorities. Like going back to COVID when they said wear a mask, I'm like, okay, I'll wear a mask. Why? Because they said wear a mask. I'm an American. You're an idiot. Your your problem is a rebellion problem. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I ain't wearing no mask in the store. Okay, stupid. And and then you're going to give them a gospel track and tell them you're a Christian and they're going to want to come to your church. Why? Because some people lost parents and grandparents and children and friends and everything else to COVID. And nobody really knew what was going on. And then Christians are going to be all in rebellion to authority. I'm against that. You watch people that raise their kids that way, see what their kids turn out to be later. It's wrong. But I will tell you this, when the authorities come in and say, you're going to bow, and God said, don't bow, guess what that means? I can't. That's not rebellion to authority. That's submission to God. Mordecai is a great example of it. He says, I'm not going to bow to Haman. I'm not going to reverence him. Everybody's reverencing him. They're giving him worship. Mordecai says, nope. Haman gets furious. And instead of just going after Mordecai for what Mordecai did, Haman does exactly what you're going to see in this generation. They won't just come after you. They'll come after everybody you're associated with. Oh, you go to that little church? Oh, you're one of those? You're one of those King James onlys? 
Oh, you're one of those that doesn't believe. I mean, it's Christian music. It's rock music with some Jesus words put to it. Oh, it's Christian music. No, it's not Christian. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're not, now you're not just having a beef with me. You're coming after everybody I'm associated with. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to get in your minds, especially some of you that go off to public school, and we got a bunch of them that do, and I got no problem with that. That's up to the parents and the individuals. That's nobody else's business. My kids have done all of it. Homeschool, public school, Christian school, all, every bit of it. So it depends on... Brother, you don't put your kids... Your kids go to public school? No, they're homeschooled. Are you a homeschooler? No, our kids go to public school. You can say whatever I want just to tick off the person asking. <laughs> Doesn't matter. In this world, sooner or later... You could be homeschooled and sheltered and Christian school and all that stuff. You're going, to grow, you're going to get a job eventually. You know what they're going to do? The devil's going to do? He's going to try to get in your head to drive you away from the people God's put in your life to help you get through. That's kind of extreme, isn't it? Why, why you got to be so extreme? Because we took a stand. Because it's time to stand. Because we know where God's at and we know what God's in and what he's not in. And I want to stand for what's right. But they'll come after you. They'll come after your friends. They'll come after people trying to do right. And Haman says, it's not enough for me just to wipe out Mordecai. I want to wipe out everybody associated with him, all the Jews. That idiot didn't stop and do his homework before he started moving. And then the king responds to Haman and says, yeah, yeah, man, no problem, no problem. Because Haman comes in and offers the king money, see? That's still how the world operates, by the way. The love of money is the root of all evil. So when they got the money, they can get their will done. No matter what it does to you, to your family, to everybody you're connected to, the people that got the money will make it happen. If it don't make sense, there's a buck in it. Did you hear that? If it don't make sense, there's a buck in it. How do cults survive? Somebody's making money. How do cults grow? Somebody's making money. How do wicked laws get passed? Somebody's making money. Why is all this stuff becoming legal that shouldn't be legal like, like marijuana? It's still wrong. Well, it's legal now. It's wrong. It's a sin. Why do you got to alter your state of mind? It's wrong. You understand that? It's a drug. It's not okay. Well, it's legal now. You know why? It don't make sense. There's a buck in it. Haman goes and buys off the king, and the king's like, all right, sounds great. The king didn't look into anything. He just passes a law having no idea that that law affects his favorite woman in the whole kingdom, Esther. And this, this message gets sent out, the word's spreading, the Jews are like, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world. We're going to jail. We're going to die because we're God's people. It's the end of the world. It's all coming apart. There's no hope. And they're driving by all the big fancy churches. With all the cars in the parking lot. And they're pulling into their little church and their little youth group. We're the only ones in the world. There's no hope. This day and age that we're living in, so depressing being a Christian today. Can't do anything. My mom and dad, my stupid pastor, my youth pastor, they're so hard on us. Looking at us all over. We have no future. We have no hope in Christianity. We have no hope as God's people. And the Jews are freaking out. Mordecai goes and he's like, you know what, I'm done. 
I'm done. I'm done hiding that I'm a Jew. I'm done hiding from all this stuff. God touches a man, and God's spirit's in a man. God puts his hand on a man, and that man's got this attitude of, I don't care anymore. I'm not keeping my mouth shut anymore. I'm not backing off anymore. You're not going to put ice on the fire in my heart for God anymore. I'm in love with God. I love God's people. I love what God's put me. I love what God's doing. And I'm standing up for God's people. And if that guy kills me, he cotton picking kills me, I'll die standing up for something I care about. Amen. He puts on that sackcloth. And a bunch of the Jews put on that sackcloth. And they start mourning. And, and Mordecai walks right up into that gate. And he ain't allowed to be doing it. And he's mourning. And he's hollering. He's making a scene. He's just letting it rip. And man, Esther, word comes to Esther. And she's like, what are you doing? Don't forget Mordecai, I raised her. What are you doing? Why are you making such a scene? Dad, you're embarrassing me. I brought my friends and they don't understand where we're from. And then you're preaching like, like my friend's not even here. My friend's going to think we're weirdos. Why do you got to get so excited? You're embarrassing me. Hey, that man recognized there was a cause worth lifting up his voice for and taking a stand in that day and at that time. He was going to die anyhow. And he got a hold of that fact. Now, let me tell you something. You're going to die anyhow. You understand that? Doesn't matter. I don't care how you live your life. You can go out and be a heroin addict. You can go start shooting dope. You can go out and start drinking. Live like the devil. Throw God away. Throw the Bible away. Throw church away. I, I, I shudder to think about some of our young people. Some people sitting here now. Just a few years getting their opportunity. And the seeds that you've been percolating in your soul for years now. They're little seeds, little seeds of attitude, little seeds of back talk, little seeds of just, just the, you're going to tell me what to, you get corrected and it, and it makes you angry and you don't go, wait a second, I, I, why am I angry? Why am I responding like this? I, I shouldn't be doing this. Hey, listen, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I got an attitude and I'm sorry for what I did. I added insult to injury because of my heart. But instead, it's well, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. You forgive me? <laughs> you're only sorry because you don't like the fallout of what happened. You're not sorry for what you did. You're sorry for the, for, the, for the results of what you did, just like Saul was sorry. Because he didn't want to deal with the repercussions of his actions. He wasn't sorry for what he was. David accepted the repercussions of his actions. He was genuinely sorry. He didn't say, God, don't judge me. He said, God, I deserve what you're giving me, and I'm sorry. See the difference? I shudder to think what some of those seeds are going to produce in 5, 10, and 15 years. When God's brought you here, and God's given you so much light, and God's given you such an opportunity for such a time as this. It's not all over. We're not bellying up and like, oh, there's no future. Church, Bible-believing churches, they're all small and struggling. What are we going to do? It ain't over, man. You know how I know it ain't over? You're still here. God ain't raptured us out yet, so he ain't done with us. That excites me. Oh, the day and age we're living in. Oh, they're going to make it illegal to preach against queers. Don't say queer. Like, 
you go ahead and belly up all you want. I'm done. You understand me? I'm absolutely done. I'm done with them pushing everything in our face while we don't stand up for anything we believe in. I'm done with being told I'm not allowed to think what I think. I'm done with being told everything is acceptable but the Word of God and everything is right but living right. I'm not taking it. And you know what? God probably made me wait till now because he said, I want you there then for that time. I'm a man born 50 years past my time. I like the old school guys. I like the Dr. Lintz's everybody always wants to talk about. I like the, you want the truth? Yes, sir. You ain't man enough. Did you see what he said to me? I'm not going back. When I get home, I'm telling my parents, and we're not going to that youth conference anymore. Hey, what'd you do that for? What are you, an idiot? You do that at home? Don't stink and throw your stuff on the ground. Pick that up. I was a grown man married. He was testing my mettle. You know what I've been told? You can't do that nowadays. Why? These guys can't take it. They can't take it. You know what? You know what, you guys? I want to be able to take it. I want to be able to say, give me some of what you got. I like that old school stuff. I like that old school stuff. I like a preacher that will tell me just like it is. That same guy is the guy that you can call his cell phone and he'll get out of bed in the middle of the night and come running to pray with you and stay up with you and cry with you all night long. You ain't going to get that from these pansy preachers that are going to pamper you and baby you and powder your nose and tell you everything you want. You ain't getting that from them. Talk to my secretary. Call my assistant. It's his weekend on call. I'm busy. See what I'm talking about? Hey, man, I want some of that old stuff. That's what I want. I want something real. I want to be somebody willing to say, you know what, I'm going to step up for such a time as this, and I'm going to be the man God wants me to be. But there's three things in the passage you're going to see real quick that are going to stop you. The first thing you're going to notice was her fear of the repercussions of doing right, her fear of failure. Look at verse number four. Esther's maids and chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. She was grieved. Why? She wasn't grieved because, man, my people are going to get wiped out. She was grieved because Mordecai is going to get us in trouble. She sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. The first thing that hit Esther is the same thing that hits some of you when you're in a position God puts you in and everybody around you believes different than you believe and behaves different than you behave and all that pressure gets put on you and you feel like the room's closing in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like the kids at school are doing something you're not allowed to do or your friends at work or whatever it is are doing something and then all of a sudden you've got to make a decision in the moment. And you're the only one not laughing because you're under conviction because a stinking preacher yesterday morning just got in this. And all of a sudden, it's still kind of all fresh from a weekend with your Christian friends and around the right kind of preaching. And it's like that moment when you feel like one person's like, why aren't you? Just one person. And you're like, everybody hates me. It was one person. They're all laughing at me. Knucklehead told knucklehead and knuckleheads were laughing at you, but there's 50 other people there, but you think everybody's attacking you. That's the devil. That's fear. That's pressure. 
That's a spirit in this world trying to stop you from being what you're supposed to be because they can see something that's out there, can see something moving around in another dimension that's all around you that you're wrestling against, can see. The preacher preached about it yesterday. You got two things. It's real simple. You know that was really, really, really profound? The greatest athletes on the planet, and specifically combat athletes, what they understand is all the fancy stuff doesn't win fights. It's really, really simple basics that are really, really, really well done that actually makes a superior fighter. He gave you something super basic. He said everything's going to boil down to two things, Jesus Christ or the devil. That was good. There's stuff going on around you. Yeah, don't worry about all that. Keep it simple. There is stuff going around you. There's pressure on you not to do right because something else can see that God wants to do something with you for such a time as this. I'm talking to you for such a time as this. But boy, the fear starts closing in on her and her initial reaction is, tell him to stop. Send him some clothes. Back off of it. I, I, I don't want to lose my friends. Back off of it. I don't want to lose my influence. Back off of it. I don't want to lose my popularity. I, I don't really think I want to go that far with it. I mean, I'm willing to do you know, right, but I, and I agree, but when I'm at church, it's all good, but when I'm out here, aren't we making a little more out of this than it should be? It's the pressure. It's fear that'll get in your head. But listen, God Almighty probably is using you to reach more people than you realize or plans on doing something with you bigger than you can ever imagine. And the devil comes in and your flesh comes in to flood you with fear thinking, oh no! It ain't going to work out. I'm going to fail. I'm just not going to go that far with it because what if I make a fool out of myself? Snap. The trap. Got you. That was Esther's first response. It's wild to me that she responds that way because she's seen God do miraculous things. She gets picked and she gets called in there and instead of doing what all the other girls do and saying, I want this kind of makeup and I need this kind of curler and this kind of flattener and this kind of... Yes, there's multiple different kinds of curlers and flatteners and I guess curling irons now come in packets with like multiple different extensions. I know, like really? I love the look on your face, brother. He's like, what? My hair is naturally curly, you know? I mean, I have four daughters. I know these things, okay? I don't use them, you can tell. You need less and less of anything as I get older, but you know, anyways. Yeah, yeah, so she didn't ask for any of this stuff. She said, whatever you want to give me, I'll take. I'm out of control anyways. I just got ripped out of my home anyways because I happen to be one of the pretty girls. I really don't care how this turns out. I'm stuck. I'm in the hands of God. I can't control all these variables. And I'm just going to just trust the Lord right now. And she goes in there and she took whatever they gave her and then she gets presented to the king and she's the favorite of all the women. She's seen God work miraculously. Have you ever had a wrong reaction when you knew better anyhow? Have you ever later kicked yourself because you're like, man, I'm an idiot, I knew better, and I did it anyways? Well, welcome to the club. You're in great company with somebody as great as Esther. Think about that. You know, these women in the Bible, just like, they really blow my mind. We always focus on Daniel and Joseph and David and all that stuff. 
you know what's different with the women? You got Ruth and you got Esther and, and, and it's different. You know why I think it's different? Especially in Bible times, it wasn't like it is nowadays. They really had an inferior role that they were stuck in, like Islam does. I don't understand these American girls that go over there and sign up for that stuff. It's rebellion. It shows you the insanity of sin. It'll mess with your mind every time and turn you into a nut. I will guarantee you these girls come from here and go over there, wind up abused, wanting to get out of there, can't get out of there because they're abused by those men. And she's just another number of the pig. Esther says, he ain't called me in for 30 days. You know what that tells you? He was with all the other girls. Because the king ain't been lonely for 30 days. I'm telling you, he ain't been lonely for 30 days. She was just the favorite thrown to the background. Like some of these guys are going to do to you when you get desperate to get married. I'm telling you something right now. They don't love you like your mama and daddy do. I'm just telling you. I've just now had my wife longer than her parents had her. <laughs> waiting for that day, man. My father-in-law been in my face for all these years. She's still my girl. She's still my girl. Like, I've had her longer than you did now. <laughs> and she's been allowed to and perfectly capable of back-talking me the whole time. Amen? <laughs> I've proven it. It's taken me 20 years to prove it. I'll guarantee you that little boy you lost your mind over and he supposedly lost his mind over you. He don't love you like your daddy loves you. My daddy's a jerk. Your daddy loves you. Bible-believing daddies. Your preacher cares. He's giving you advice based on what he sees best for you. He don't want you hooked up with somebody like this who's going to make decisions that fall out to your destruction without even stopping to consider what his decisions are causing She got stuck in a bad spot. And I'm telling you this much right now, God Almighty hates a bully. Did you hear me? God hates a bully. I was tortured when I was a kid. I was short. I stopped growing at 15. I was the same size I am at 15 years old. Everybody thought I was going to be 6'2 like my dad, and I stopped, didn't grow a day past my 15-year-old birthday. I got picked on a lot. You know what I hated? I hated watching somebody else pick on somebody. You know the kind of jokes that are, ha I'm just kidding. Short guys with big ugly ears. You can smile. It's okay. I'm talking about myself. I appreciate the respectfulness. I genuinely do. But some guy walks up to me. I mean, I was like multiple states away at a meeting. Some guy walks up to me and says, Mike Reagan? I'm like, yeah, who are you? I remember you when you were a kid. You know what I remember about you? Your ears. You've always had them ears. I said, no, stupid. I haven't always had these ears. They were always kind of big, but they didn't look like this. He was too clueless to even know what cauliflower ear was. He's like, you've always been deformed. (laughs) Ah, I'm just kidding. Oh, you're not funny. You know those kind of jokes that are actually bullying? Picking on somebody for something they can't control and you make them feel bad? That kind of stuff, man, always aggravated me. You know, God always goes for the underdog. When you're ostracized because you're trying to do right, 
God Almighty is watching that and he hates everybody ganging up on you. You know, God always has his eye out on the fatherless, little boys that don't have a man to protect them and lead them. The day and age we live in, the problem is the dads. Yeah, but you know what the opportunity is for some of you that may not have had the parent you wanted, the dad you wanted? You know what the opportunity is? You get a chance to get closer to God than most guys ever get to because they run to their earthly father when they got a good one, and they should. It's a good thing. And you got the disadvantage, which you can turn into your advantage because that's how powerful and wonderful God Almighty is. And he looks at somebody who's fatherless and says, he doesn't have a dad, I'll be that for him. You get a chance to know God better than most people. And the widows. God looks out for a woman that doesn't have a good man leading her and helping her and guiding her. Or has a man abusing her. God has a soft spot for the women. Esther's stuck. Oh, you shouldn't talk like that. That's, in my day, they called it chauvinist. Nowadays, they call it sexist. Women are the same as men. I'm going to try not to, because we got to get out of here. I want to wrap this message up. That's literally like saying, I can shoot him in the head because I feel like it, and it's not wrong. They're preaching at you, science, 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 science. We study science. We don't have faith. And then they turn around and say something that's provably, undeniably unscientific. God has a soft spot for the women, for the weaker vessel. I didn't say weak. I don't teach my kids they're weak. I don't believe women are weak. I believe they're weaker. I don't think they're weak. God has a soft spot for the women. That's a blessing, ain't it? Here she is, and that fear is over flood, over flooding her. Look at verse number 11. Watch her instinctive response. The king's servants, the people, the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king, into the inner court, who is not called. There's one law of his to put him to death, except to such whom the king should hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I, see the but, but, but I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. You know what she's saying? Mordecai says, Esther, you need to get in there. It's time. I know we've been laying low. I've been teaching you to be smart. I've been teaching you not to overdo it, not to provoke them, to dodge the bullet. I've been teaching you that, right? It's time, Esther. Well, you've always said not to tell them who I... Esther, I know what I've said, and that was right then. It's time now. Go in there, Esther. But, 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 but you know the rules. But, but you know what's going to happen. Yeah, but Esther, you're the favorite. You're the queen. He's more than likely not going to cut your head off. But, but for 30 days, he's ignored my existence. I haven't seen the man for 30 days. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea how drunk he is. I have no idea who all he's been with. I don't know what's going on. But Mordecai, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't right now. Her first reaction is one of fear, the same reaction you and I get. Don't kid me that you don't. Don't kid me that you don't. I'm 44 years old. I've been pastoring here for 15 years. I pastored for six months before that. And I've been you know, over there in the school. I'm not training anymore, but I'm over there in the school. And the guys all start saying stuff that ain't right. And you know what my first instinct is? That's my first instinct, man. Ain't that terrible? Oh, I'm bold here. It's another thing when you're over there. Your first instinct is, uh, uh, no, that ain't funny. 
No, I'm not supposed to laugh. Hey, why, why do you always have to take Jesus Christ's name in vain, man? You know, after a couple times it got to where when it would happen, they said, sorry, preacher. And you know what I'd say? Hey, man, you and I are friends. Don't apologize to me. You're going to answer God for it when you see it. Have a good one, bro. See you next week. <laughs> but that ain't the first response. That ain't anybody's first response. But maybe God's watching to see if it'll be yours anyways. Fear began to overflood her, but notice the next thing. That's fear that'll prevent you. But notice the next thing. The future of her fellow man should have been motivating her. Everybody's going to die. Verse 14. He says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. We'll come back to that in a minute. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. You think you're going to escape because you're in the palace? Do you know where God's got us in this day and age? He's got every last one of us boxed in. You understand that? I tell people all the time when they come to this church, and they come and they just like every other church, every other people, it's human nature. No matter where you go, there are certain laws that human nature is under, so it's going to happen sooner or later. I don't care about your church. I don't care about how, I don't, I don't care. It's human nature. It's going to happen. They come for a while. Oh, it's the best church on the planet. I just love it. I just love my youth group. I just love it. And then before long, something goes on. Everybody's sleep deprived. Somebody gets yelled at. Somebody gets corrected for something. They get all sideways, get upset, and then they're leaving. Say, look, I'm telling you right now, you've been ruined. Oh, you think you're such a great preacher. <laughs> you have no idea what I think of myself. You judge on the outside, you judge what you think you see, but you don't really know what I actually think. I don't think it's because I'm such a great preacher. I am telling you, that book you got in your lap, once you've been under sound Bible preaching, you can't go sit in some of this foolishness and get anything. You're stuck, man. You're jammed up. You're not going to go serve the Lord somewhere else. No, you will not. You sit there and listen to some little effeminate guy in skinny jeans get up there and give you a little self-help and we all love, love, love and the women are like, oh, wasn't that really just so good? And you guys are like, good night, man. We'll stay home and watch a UFC fight. You're, you're, you're jammed up. And ladies, once you've got some truth and you felt God speak to your heart and you go there and some guy's trying to play emotion stuff with you, you're like, mm ain't doing it anymore. I see right through all that stuff. I've been fed before. I know what it feels like to get some good food. You're ruined. You're jammed up, man. So now you're standing there and you're between a rock and a hard place. And you got the world pushing against you. And you got God saying, hey, I'm looking for somebody to step up because I'm fixing to do something. I ain't done. Talk all you want about the old days. Talk all you want about the, the old revivals. Talk all you want about the old blowouts. The blow, old blowouts and all the rest of that stuff and the old big conferences where hundreds came and dozens got saved. That's not coming back. I don't even want it. He doesn't want it. Not if that's not God's will. Not if that's not how God's working. I'm happy to be alive when I am. I like where I live. I like my church. I like the opportunities God's given me. I love my family. I love my church. I love my friends that I'm developing around the country. I'm happy where I'm at. I don't want to turn you all into something that used to be something 50 years ago. Do you? Be yourself. It's such a time as this. And you're standing here, you're looking at this, pushing at you, and God's saying, I need somebody to step up in this generation to reach these people like they are. And you're going, 
Wrong or right? God or the devil? Simple. Well, I just don't want to waste my whole life and I just don't want to get old and have missed out on everything. I missed out on so much. Yeah, you have, like, like alcoholism. Yeah, you missed out on a lot like rehab. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like mind games because that junk messes your head up so bad and the struggles you're going to have. I'm talking like, I'm talking, you missed out on a lot. The opportunity to party and go be with a bunch of different people that absolutely changes the rest of your life when God gives you the right person and messes up your personal relationship with the right... There's things to overcome that affect the rest of your future. There's a lot of people in this room that know it and they ain't bragging about it. They're saying, I wish to God I'd made the right decisions later, but I'm making them now and I'm happy about that. Amen. You're missing out on nothing. It's just a choice. And he said, don't think you're going to escape. Said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. The judgment of God's coming on this nation. You know that, right? God will not put up with what we're doing and the laws we're passing and the things we're okaying and pretend he doesn't see it. Sooner or later, judgment is coming. I'll say something really mess with some of your heads. Democracies are not of God. Because a democracy is only as good as the people voting. Guess what your future has coming? You're going to get voted out. You're going to be one of those Jews. Those people won't bow. Get rid of them. They're the problem. Elijah, no Ahab, you're the problem. You people are so in discord and you're, you're psychologically damaging those kids because you're telling them they're actually a girl when they're a girl. <laughs> you're telling them it's weird and unnatural for them to think the opposite sex is attractive. The same sex is attractive. Yet, when you think the same sex is attractive, you're a weirdo. That's not normal. So that kind of stuff you have to get right with Jesus Christ before it ruins your life. You're telling them there's an imminent return of Jesus Christ. Psychologically damaging them because they're paranoid that if they're caught by God in sin that their life is ruined and now they're going to have to take forever. I'm going to get on the blog with all the other people that were raised in a Bible-believing church and try to heal my wounded psyche because the preacher preached it. I read an article on it this week. Calling out independent, Bible-believing, premillennial dispensationalists, brother. You know how, like, tiny segment of Christianity we are? Article this week coming after us because we damaged a whole generation by telling them there's an imminent rapture. I love what your preacher said, what your preacher said. Friday night or Saturday, he said, according to the Jewish calendar, we got a couple hundred more years. I just read that this week. I think according to the Jewish calendar, it's like 57, 80 or something like that. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. All Things Jew. Ask him. He knows better than I do. I was close though, right? Right, Brother Mike? That's why you're here because I'm, I'm sort of close sometimes. If that's true, which we don't know if it is or not. That's a bummer, man. What I mean is if the Jews are accurate, which we don't know, compare their calendar to our calendar, and we actually could be on borrowed time. Like, 
He could be like, ah, I'm going to wait two more years, but I could have come there. And y'all could get old and die and get married and have kids. Wouldn't that be great? Only if you step up to the plate and say, I'm going to live for something bigger than me. Because I'm telling you this right now, you're not going to escape. You're not going to escape. If you stand for Jesus Christ and the judgment comes on this nation, it's going to affect you. If you don't stand for Jesus Christ and you're over here with all the rest of them and judgment comes on the nation, it's going to affect you worse. Did you hear what I said? Christians don't escape it. We just have it better in the middle of the storm. He's the eye in the middle of the storm. But without him, you're in the storm with all them, like Jonah, perishing. You're jammed up. Now, you can do whatever you want. It's your life. But you're jammed up. You're ruined. Because your preachers, myself, giving you the truth and 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 if you throw it away, you're ruined. Light rejected becomes lightning. And the expectations on this generation of Bible-believing Christians is so high and God's looking for an Esther who will say, I'll step up. I'm going to scratch it. I got one more point. I'm going to scratch it. You already saw what we, what we read, right? She said, okay, listen, here's what I want you to do. She said, go fast. And I and my maidens, we're going to fast. I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm going to slow down before I make some big decision and jump into a big mess. Even though it's the right decision. I'm going to slow down before I make that decision and I'm going to take the time to get a hold of God before I go charging in to save the world. And I'm going to fast for three days and three nights. Obviously, you know the gospel, right? Isn't that amazing how God weaves that in there? It was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, ain't it? Come on, don't we have something worth living for? Ain't there lost people out there we're preaching against all the time? And some of you could lead them to Jesus Christ and disciple them and wind up being best friends with some people that make fun of you right now. She said, three days and three nights, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And you guys do the same thing. And when I'm done getting a hold of God, I'm going in there and I'm going to do right. Because it's right. And she said, if I perish, I perish. She literally said, think about this woman. You know, we're kind of hard on you guys sometimes. It's like, where are all the guys at the altar? Where are the guys singing? And You know, this, this week we had more guys here than we had girls. That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. I really want God to get a hold of some young men's hearts and get some, just some grit down in your guts and some character, some backbone. I don't care if you can beat me up with one hand tied behind your back. You're a coward if you won't stand up for Jesus Christ. If you won't see the need in this generation and do something about it and get a hold of God to do something about it, you're a stinking coward. Beat me into the next life. I don't care. You're still a coward. A real man stands up for Jesus Christ, whether he can swat a fly or not. That's a man. If I perish, I perish. And she said, I'll throw it all away. I'll throw every bit of it. Mordecai had already done it. She said, Dad, if you're going to do it, if the preacher can do it, if the youth pastor can do it, I can do it. And she walked in there. And you'll see the rest of the story as we keep going through the book.
God worked miracles she could have never imagined. The preacher's been telling you all week. I'm sitting back there like, oh my goodness, he's preaching my whole message. God worked it out for her in ways she never could have figured out. If she strategized her perfect life and wrote it all down and then was able to work it all out herself, she could have never done or figured out or imagined what God was going to do with her. But God didn't tell her that when she was sitting where you're sitting this morning. He just said, I got you alive at this time. Here's your opportunity. Now show me if you're willing to do what I have for you to do. You know what the scariest part is? Mordecai was right. He said, if you don't, God will get somebody else. You know what scares me to think? It scares me to think that it actually is only 5783. And that God wants to do something. But I'm too much of a coward to step out there. I love me and I love my life and I got my own plans and my own wills and the things I want and I care about being cool and I care about being popular and I care about, I'm not man enough to say, if you're going to talk like that, act like that and be like that, you're not my friend. That, that, we're friends, right? If he starts denying the King James Bible, I'm done. I'm literally done. Yeah, well, you know, brother, I don't, okay, well, get out of here, man. Our friendship was built on something totally different. And now you're not what, you, what I thought you were? We're done. Why? Because his opinion of me is way more important than what he thinks of me or what he's... Well, then you're not going to be a part of our camp. See you later, man. I go sit on my front porch and watch the squirrels run around. I don't care. As <laughs> long as I got him. She said, all right, I'll go in there. And if I perish, I perish. He said, good thing you did it because if you didn't, God would have got somebody else. I don't want God to say, all right, I'll just get somebody else. Because guess what God will do? God will get somebody else. None of us are as important as we think we are. Not one. God doesn't need you. That's mean, ain't it? We love you, but God doesn't need you. I'm not going back to youth group. Fine, you'll just make room for other people. God will bring more in. God doesn't need you. You need him. And he's put you here for such a time as this. Let's stand on our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I hope the message was clear enough this morning. If the Lord's speaking to your heart, why don't you...